This Ethics Podcast is dedicated in loving memory and Ilunishmas Avraham Tzvi Ben Menachem Mendel, whose first yard site we just marked this past Shabbos. May his soul be elevated in heaven. As I mentioned last time, we are beginning a new series starting January 3rd. If you want to supercharge your 2022, if you want to begin your 2022 on the right foot, join our Musser Masterclass. We're going to work on improving our character, on deciphering our character, and starting off the year properly, refining ourselves, improving ourselves, making sure that this is the best year upcoming. Visit our website, torchweb.org. There's also going to be a link in the description of this podcast. I hope to see you there, 7.30 Central Time, starting on Monday, January 3rd. We're up to chapter 5, Mishnah number 26. Ben Bagbag Omer. So the author of our Mishnah is unusually named. His name is Ben Bagbag, the son of Bagbag. And he used to say, Hafochba vahafochba dekulaba. Delve into it and delve into it for everything is in it. This is a reference to Torah study. Torah study something you should turn over and turn over, study it and study it. Examine it from every angle. Why? Because everything is in it. And into it you should look deeply. And grow old and worn out with it. This is not something we study as youths, as teenagers, as adolescents, and mature and graduate to other pursuits. This is something we should study our whole lives, grow old with it. And from it, you should not budge. For you, there's no better portion than it. There's no better pastime than it. There is no greater study and pursuit than the pursuit of Torah. So this is the Mishnah, Mishnah number 26. We're talking about Ben Bagbag. Now, the next part of the Mishnah, Ben Heihei, we're going to split into a separate Mishnah on some versions. They have it lumped together. In the version that we're using, it does have a lump together, but we're going to separate it into two. So we have an idea about Torah study. You should turn it over and delve into it and never stop studying it. Study it as a youth and graduate your life, essentially live your life accompanying Torah study. This is the best pastime. Now, who is the author of this mission? His name is Ben Bagbag. His full name, we're told in the Talmud, is Yochanan Ben Bagbag. He was a friend and a colleague of the author of the next Mishnah, Ben Heihei, the similarly unusually named Ben Heihei. And Ben Bagbag is not featured very often in the literature. In all of Mishnah and all of Talmud, there are only a handful of citations. One memorable one is found in the book of Talmud. Babakama, page 27b, we read the following memorable citation. Ben Bagbag Omer, Ben Bagbag says, if your friend has your stuff, if your friend owns your items, is, is harboring your items, don't enter his field. Don't enter his courtyard in the middle of the night. Don't sneak in like a thief. Rather, break his teeth and say, mine I am taking. If your friend is holding your stuff, don't act like a thief. Don't surreptitiously sneak into his house, walk in, 
bang down the door, smash his teeth, and say, I'm taking what is rightfully mine. One teaching in the Talmud. A second teaching in the Talmud is found in Psachem, page 96a. Ben Bagbag Omer. Ben Bagbag says, a Tamid sacrifice. A Tamid is a daily sacrifice that's brought. The first sacrifice brought in the temple is the morning Tamid. The morning daily sacrifice. The final sacrifice of the day is the afternoon sacrifice. And these animals that are sacrificed every day must be guarded and overseen and watched for four days before they are offered. These are the teachings of Ben Bagbag in the Talmud. So again, not featured very heavily. And he's telling us when we study Torah, we should turn it over and turn it over and delve into it from every angle because there's everything in it. Now, the commentaries note, if you look at the previous Mishnah, it talked about the timeline of a life well lived. At the age of five, you start scripture. At the age of 10, you start Mishnah. At the age of 15, you start Talmud. The previous Mishnah gives us the framework for when we're supposed to begin our study. In this Mishnah, we're told what are we supposed to do for the rest of the life, for the rest of our lives. You've gone to Talmud. You have been initiated in a life of study. Now it's time for you to toil in it the rest of your life. Why? Delve into it and delve into it for everything is in it. Now the commentaries offer a wide variety, a bevy of reasons of what this means. Everything is in the Torah. So Rashi tells us on a basic level, on a simple level, that the Torah is multifaceted. We read scripture, we read Mishnah, we read the Talmud on a basic level and we understand it. And then we get a little bit more advanced and we can see a new dimension, a new facet. There are shivim panim la Torah. There are a minimum of 70 facets for every part of Torah. We know that the study of Torah is divided up into four general kinds of study. There's the pardes, there's the simple level, and then there's the allegorical level, and then, of course, you get more advanced until you arrive to the sod, to the secret level, to the mystical level. You can have one citation, one verse, and you understand it in so many different ways. And therefore, when you study, don't just subsist with a basic, surface, superficial level of study. Turn it over and see a different angle and never cease to examine it because you will constantly find new dimensions and insights. We're told that the Torah is the Almighty's brain, so to speak, the Almighty's mind, so to speak. And just like the Almighty is infinite, the Torah is infinite as well. And there's a great irony in it that the more exposure you have to Torah, the more you realize how vast it is and how little you know. The great Chazon Ish used to say that the mark of a Talmud Chacham, of a Torah scholar, is someone who has such prowess of Torah study, they can study 40 pages of Talmud in one day. Now, if you've ever had the great pleasure and privilege to study Talmud, you know that to study 40 pages of Talmud in one day is a gargantuan accomplishment. So what's the mark of a great Torah scholar? Someone who can study 40 pages of Talmud in a single day.
But that's not all. A great Torah scholar should be able to spend 40 days on a single page of Talmud. If you're studying with great intensity and you're plumbing the depths of Torah, you will realize that there is so much. You could spend 40 days on a single page of Talmud and you're not wasting your time. There's so much depth. Turn it over and you can always find something new. You know, this year we started the sixth cycle of the Parsha podcast. And every year I have uh, some listeners who say, you know what, Rabbi, we've covered the Parsha. We know the Parsha. Move on to other pursuits, maybe to a Talmud podcast or a Mishnah podcast. And you know what? We probably should do that. But I always like to say that the Torah is infinite. And just because we studied one angle the previous year, it doesn't mean that we've exhausted Torah. Every year, we could try to find something new because there's an infinite amount of wisdom in every part of Torah. And again, the great irony is that the people who know the least amount of Torah, they are certain that they are experts. This is like the Dunning-Kruger effect on steroids. The less you know, the more you think you actually know. But the more you know, the la- the more you realize how little, in fact, your true grasp of Torah is. The Talmud tells us that someone once insulted Rabbi Akiva by telling him, you're not so special. You're like a shepherd. You're a simpleton. You're a shepherd of livestock. So Rabbi Akiva responded, Oh, no, I'm not like a shepherd of livestock, big animals. I'm a shepherd of a flock, small animals. And the commentaries explain that this is not simple humility. What this person was telling Rabbi Tiva was, you're the greatest scholar in the land. You're one of the greatest scholars of all time. You know Torah that even Moshe doesn't know, doesn't know. Even Moshe didn't understand and didn't comprehend. But nevertheless, Torah is infinite. And therefore, compared to what Torah really is, your knowledge is like that of a simpleton, an ignoramus, a shepherd of livestock. And Rabbi Kiva responds, no, 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 Torah is even vaster than that. And therefore, my knowledge, comparative knowledge, relative to what Torah actually is, is even less. Not because I know less, but because Torah, in fact, is greater. So if Torah is so vast, a simple cursory surface study is insufficient. You have to study it and then delve deeper and then delve deeper and turn it over and turn it over because everything is in it. Now the Ruach Chaim, he gives a different idea. And again, these ideas are not mutually exclusive. They're all true, but different angles to explain this Mishnah. Everything is in the Torah. The answers to all your questions in the Torah. But sometimes it's hard to figure out where exactly the answer will be found. Meaning you don't always find the answer in the place where you would expect it. And he quotes the Talmud. The Talmud says, the Talmud is quoting a verse that compares Torah to a breast. And he explains 
that a breast is made out of flesh, but the child sucks out milk. Meaning that what you derive from Torah is sometimes different than what the Torah appears to be. Similarly, in the laws of Sukkah, the temporary structure we're supposed to build on the festival of Sukkot, you'll find Torah insights for when a woman's husband disappears and we don't know if he's dead or alive and we don't know if she can marry or not. Is she still a married woman or maybe the husband is dead? You wouldn't expect to find answers to such questions in the laws of Sukkot, but that's the way Torah sometimes is. You have to turn it over. You want the answer. The answers are all there. But the locations of those answers are sometimes obscured, are sometimes hidden. There's an amazing series of books called Contemporary Halachic Problems. And this is one of the few ways that people who are not familiar with Aramaic and have never studied Talmud and don't read Hebrew, they can delve into advanced Talmudic inquiry because these books were written in English. Contemporary Halachic Problems by Rabbi Bleich. I think it's seven volumes or eight volumes, and it's all modern contemporary problems. Like he talks about IVF. IVF is like a 40 or 50-year-old technology. Stem cells and transgender and electricity, all the things that are not just the Talmud, contemporary halakhic problems. What would the Talmudic and responsa literature say about these modern problems? And that really fits into this idea. Everything is in the Torah, but sometimes you have to work really hard to find where the answer to your question is. It may be in a surprising location. And if you have to turn it over and turn it over, till eventually you'll find the answer. The principles of the Torah can be ubiquitously applied to every conceivable situation. But knowing exactly where to find the answers, to do that, you have to be a true master. You have to turn the Torah over, delve and delve, until you know it all. So you have all the answers, but the only way to have the key to all those answers is to know it all, because you never know where the answers may, in fact, lie. That's the second idea of what it means everything is in the Torah. A third idea. If you go to the school, go to university, so you'll have different classes. You can learn about the, the sciences and, and history and, and English and art. It's all these disciplines and all these wisdoms, philosophy and all the different schools of philosophy, medicine. There's lots of different wisdoms and disciplines of knowledge, of learning. We're told that the Almighty used the Torah to create the world. Have you heard that idea? The Almighty used the Torah as the blueprint for the creation of the world. The Almighty examined the Torah, and that was the blueprint that he created the world with. What that means is that the Torah is the alpha wisdom. The Torah is the original, the OG wisdom. And therefore, all the other wisdoms and disciplines in the world actually can find their roots 
in Torah. Torah is the wisdom that incorporates all the wisdoms. And therefore, if you want to know knowledge, go to the source, the Torah, turn it over and turn it over, because everything is in it. Now, of course, it's hard for us to deduce from Torah mathematics or science or history or language or philosophy. And the reason why is because we haven't toiled and delved and turned it over in every conceivable way. But the true giants who really achieved total mastery of Torah, they knew it all. They knew all the wisdoms. So, for example, we have someone you know, who lived in modern times, the Chazonish, I mentioned him earlier. The Chazonish, just personally, he was my father's sandik, by my father's bris, the person who holds the baby for the circumcision, is called the sandik. He was my father's sandik two weeks before he passed. He passed in 1953. So we're talking about someone who lived kind of in our lifetimes. And he was someone who just studied Torah, but he knew everything. So much so, you could actually Google this. There was a child who had a brain tumor, and it was inoperable, and the mom came to the Chazonish, and the Chazonish drew a diagram of a brain and a line of how it's actually to actually perform that surgery. And again, someone like that didn't study anatomy and medicine by dissecting a cadaver. It all came from Torah. If you study Torah in the same way that he did with the same diligence and commitment for 50 years, for 80 years, you too will be able to deduce how to do brain surgery. And you'll know the principles of math and science, etc., from Torah. Going back a couple hundred years, we have the Goan of Vilna. The Goan of Vilna was an expert in absolutely every discipline and wisdom of the world. All the maths and all the sciences and all the pharmacology and medicine, he knew it all. And he studied nothing aside from Torah. You know, I think, you know, how the brain actually works and how to manipulate it and pedagogy, how to raise children and pupils and charges and what to do when things are a little bit off. And how to manipulate things and psychology. That is what we call Musr. Musr is the Torah's psychology. And it's way better than what you learn in med school. Everything is in the Torah. Moreover, even history is in the Torah. And even events that happen subsequently are also found in the Torah. This is an amazing idea about to share with you. The written Torah has been in our hands for 3,300 years. Moshe gave us, before he passed, written Torah. And there have been no updates in thousands and thousands of years. Nevertheless, we believe, and we'll talk more about this in a second, that all future events that happen subsequently are also foretold in the Torah. Let me give you an example. 
the Talmud in the book of Megillah, on page 7a, it's recording a dialogue that happened between Queen Esther. So when's that? That's between the first and second temple era. I'm talking about 800 years after Torah, the Torah has been written, right? A long time of Torah has been written. A dialogue between Queen Esther and the Sanhedrin. And Esther is making a pitch that Purim, the festival that marks the miracle of Purim, be established. And the book of Esther be added to the canon, to the biblical canon. And there's a whole back and forth being recorded in the Talmud of what the arguments were. And she says, Kavuni Ladoros, establish me and my story for generations. This was a miracle, but let's not make this a discreet, isolated miracle. It happened once in history and forgetting about it and not celebrate it subsequently. Establish me and my story as a festival for generations. Let's memorialize the story in the festival of Purim. So the Sanhedrin responded to Esther, sent the message back to Esther. I don't know if that's such a good idea. It's a dangerous idea. Why? Because it talks about the triumph of the Jews over their enemies. A lot of those enemies are still extant. We don't want this story to be publicized. What's going to be when our enemies read about this story and they're going to want to get revenge? Maybe it's better to just keep it hush-hush. So Esther responded back, Well, the enemies, they already know the story. The story is already told in the chronicles of Persia and media. It's well-known worldwide. It's okay. It's not like we're telling them things that they don't know. And the Talmud continues that Esther sent a message I want the book of Esther to be perpetuated for generations. I want the story of the triumph of the Jews over Haman, the Agagite, the heir of Amalek. I want that to be included in the canon. And again, the Sanhedrin says, well, not such a good idea. Why? And they quote a verse in scripture that the battle with Amalek is mentioned three times. If it's three times, it shouldn't be four times. Until they found the verse in the Torah. This is from Exodus chapter 17, the end of Parshas Beshalach. Jewish people leave Egypt and they're on their way to Sinai and they're attacked by Amalek. The first war of the Jewish people after the Exodus, even before Sinai, is with Amalek. And Moshe nominates Joshua, go make war with Amalek. Joshua collects men, and Moshe, of course, goes to the top of the mountaintop and lifts his arms, and he has Aaron on one side and Hur on the other side, and Joshua weakens Amalek. But the section concludes where God tells Moshe, Ksov zos zikaron basefer. Write this episode as a remembrance in a book. Explains the Talmud. This is hinting to the story of Esther. Write this. That means the episode that happened now. Zikaron, as a remembrance, 
That's a reference to what it's going to say in the writings, in the prophets. In a book, when God tells Moshe, write this story in a book, that's hinting that in the future there will be another book about this, namely the book of Esther. So it's an interesting exchange in the Talmud to just say, well, you know, that the, the Purim story, it wasn't universally agreed upon and there's a whole dialogue back and forth. But what's really interesting about this is that until the sages found a hint in the written Torah that was written hundreds of years prior, they found a hint that says that there should be a book, an entire book dedicated to the triumph of the Jews over Amalek. Until they found that, they weren't willing to add it to the canon. They were working with the premise, everything has got to be in the Torah. And therefore, if you're going to write a new book and include that book in the canon, and that's the book of Esther, the book of a triumph over Amalek, there's got to be some sort of reference to it. And once they found it, indeed, they added the story of Esther, the book of Esther, into the canon. Similarly, the Talmud elsewhere, the book of Chul in page 139b tells us that the players, the major players of the Purim story are all found in the Torah. Where does Haman appear in the Torah? Says the Talmud. That is referenced in the story of Adam and Eve consuming from the tree. Where does Esther appear in the Torah? That too is found when the Torah tells us, Va'anochi hastir astir panai, I will cover my face. Hastir is similar, the same root as Esther. That's where Esther is hinted to in the Torah. And where's Mordechai hinted to in the Torah? That is in the Torahs. Again, there's an idea that all the future events, all the future publications, all the future bigwigs and notable people are all going to be found in the Torah. Moreover, we have a tradition that it's not just the important people who are featured in the Torah. All events of human history are forecasted in the Torah. Now, the idea of the Torah being like a microcosm of all of human history, that idea is found in a lot of different ways. So, for example, the Goan of Vilna says that in the first word of the Torah, Bereshis, you find hints to all 630 mitzvahs. Moreover, in the Torah at large, the history and the events and all the people are all featured. So one of his clever and ambitious students said to him, okay, well, if all people are told about the Torah, where are you found in the Torah going to Vilna? Every person's there. Where is your verse? So he responded by quoting the verse in the end of Parshas Kiseitse that talks about the kinds of stones and measurements that a person has to have. If you're selling a pound of bananas, you can't give the consumer 0.98 pounds. You have to have a weight, a measure that's precise. Even Shlema, a complete stone, Tielacha, you should have. Don't play around with the weights. Evan Shlema says the going of Vilna. Aleph, Bez, Nun, Evan stands for Eliyahu ben Shlomo. Shlomo and Shlema. Eliyahu ben Shlomo. His father's name is Shlomo. Eliyahu ben Shlomo. This verse corresponds to me. 
Now I'll tell you a secret. Listen to this. This will most likely blow your mind, but not necessarily in a good way. You ready? If you do the following calculation, you take the first verse of the Torah and you match it with year one of Adam. And then the second verse you match with year two of Adam. And the third verse you match with year three. And so on. How many verses are there in the Torah? 5,800. And 45. According to our tradition, we are now in the year 5,782. But if you look at the verse that the Gon of Vilna pointed to, that is the verse that hints to him in the Torah, it corresponds to the year 1797, the precise year the Gon of Vilna passed away. So there is a theory, there is a theory that argues that every verse in the Torah corresponds to a year of history. And there are many, many notable and important years in history that when you look to the corresponding verse in the Torah, you find how it's perhaps hinting to it. Now, of course, you're thinking, well, okay, well, what year are we in now? According to this calculation, we're in the tough parts of Ha'azinu, if you know what I mean. Ha'azinu has some rough parts before there is a reclamation at the end of Ha'azinu. We're in the rough parts. So I'll see you in a couple of decades. But anyhow, that's an idea that we find that everything is hinted to in the Torah. Future history, future events. There's the great story with the student of the Ramban, whose name was Avner, who became an apostate, became like a bishop. You know the story? The Ramban, of course, the great medieval commentator, had a student who became a Christian and became some sort of bishop or something like that. And this apostate, this traitor to his people, he went and visited the Ramban on Yom Kippur. Now, there are various versions of this story. This is the version that I read in the Seder Hadoros. So it says that on Yom Kippur, this apostate came to visit the Ramban, or maybe he summoned the Ramban, and he took a pig, and on Yom Kippur, he slaughtered the pig, and he cut it up, and he grilled it, and he ate it. In front of his great teacher, a Jewish Boy did this terrible sin. Anyam Kippur, holiest day of the year. So this apostate goes over to the rabbi and says, well, how many violations did I, did I transgress? And that whole discussion of how many violations this person transgressed. And they engaged in a conversation and the Ramban asked him, well, what caused you to reject and repudiate your faith why did you become an apostate? So your response is, well, once you were giving a lecture on Parshas Ha'azinu. 
Ha'azinu, the song of Ha'azinu is the second to last parsha in the Torah, the penultimate parsha of the Torah. And it's a song, one of the three songs of the Torah. And in it, we have all these very poetic verses that talk about the past, the present, the future, etc. And if you actually look at the commentary of the Ramban, he talks about how this is forecasting all of human history and the, the trends of human history and the events of human history and the upcoming Messiah, etc. But in your lecture, says the apostate, you claimed that everything and every person and every event is foretold in Parshas Hazinu, in the Song of Hazinu. And to me, that sounded so impossible. It must be you're making it up. It must be you're not reliable and I'm leaving the religion. I'm going to become a Christian. That's what this apostate Avner tells the Ramban Nachmanides, the giant of the medieval era. So the Ramban responds to him, well, I still stand by what I said. Everything appears in the Song of Azinu. So Avner says, okay, well, where does my name appear? Aha, checkmate. Where does my name appear? Yeah, if everything appears in Azinu, where does my name appear? So the Ramban responded, if you look at chapter 32, verse 26 of Deuteronomy in Parshas Hazinu, you read the following, Amarti af'eim ashbisa me'enosh zichram. I said, I will shatter them in anger and I will make their memory cease from humanity. And if you look at the third letter of these words, you have a resh, and then an aleph, and then a bays, and then a nun, and then another resh. Which can be read as reb, which means like mister, avner. And what does it say? You'll be shattered, you'll be destroyed, and everyone will lose sight of you, you will be lost. And when this Avner person heard the story, he said, well, what do I do now? So Ramban says, I don't know. The verse seems pretty uh, unambiguous. So uh, the rabbi left. This is how the story is told. The rabbi left. And this Avner person, he was so shaken up by this experience, he gets on a boat and he disappears and no one knows what happened to him. Indeed, as forecasted in the verse. Now, again, this story is told in many different Ways, uh, but again, it's always the, the student of the Ramban, whose name was Avner, who had this kind of change in attitude because he discovered that his name, in fact, does appear in the song of Ha'azinu. But that's one of the ideas that the commentaries here share. If everything is in the Torah, it means everything is in the Torah, all the wisdoms, and in fact, even all the histories. And therefore, if there's so much in the Torah, we should study it, and we should not budge from it, and we should study it as a youth, and we should grow old with it. The Torah is not a discipline like other disciplines. You don't go to school, do your four years of Torah study, get your degree, maybe get your PhD in Torah, and that's it. Move on to other things. Torah is a lifelong pursuit. And the Mishnah tells us there's no better measure than it. There's no better 
ROI, return on investment, than Torah study. Study it as a youth. At the age of five already, you're studying scripture. Mishnah, Talmud, your whole life, spend it with Torah because there's nothing better. Now, there's a very interesting comment here from the Chassid Yaivetz. He says that if you look at this, kind of the structure of this Mishnah, he's supposed to study Torah and then grow old with it. And there's everything in Torah, and therefore you should delve into it and turn it over and turn it over. And through it, Uba and through it you shall see. So the way he understands this Mishnah, very creative reading of this Mishnah, if you want prophecy, if you want to see, if you want to become a visionary, a seer, study Torah with great diligence. Everything's in the Torah, and the way to connect to the Almighty is via Torah, and the way to become a prophet is through Torah. Through it, you will see. And then he adds something very interesting. Grow old with it. And the way he explains this is that in our history, we've had many great prophets who were very young and precocious. And he quotes, for example, Samuel and Jeremiah. You don't need to be old to be great in Torah. You already become a seer at a young age and grow old with Torah once you already have that vision. What I found very interesting is that you don't need to have, so to speak, a lot of time in Torah for it to make a big impact within you. And there's nothing like it. There's no measure like Torah. There's no exchange rate between Torah and any other domain, discipline, or wisdom. Let's say you study Torah already, and you've studied it a lot. Maybe now you should spend your time, the commentaries posit, with other wisdoms. What about Greek philosophy? Isn't that worthwhile? This mission is telling us no. There's no exchange rate. Even if it's the hundredth time that you're studying the same piece of Torah, it is more beneficial to you than the first time you are studying some other discipline or wisdom. What an amazing Mishnah here, courtesy of Yochanan ben Bagbag. Everything's in the Torah. Turn it over and turn it over. Delve into it. There are so many layers and depths and nuances in it. It has the answers to all your questions. You just have to work really hard until you know where to find those answers. All the wisdoms and all the disciplines and all other domains of scholarship and knowledge are found in the Torah. And in fact, all events in history, this is the best pursuit. This is the Jewish pastime for a reason. Grow old with it. There's nothing that is more beneficial to you than Torah study. It connects you to your creator better than anything else. It is the best use of your time. As always, my email address is rabbiwalby at gmail.com. I look forward to your questions and your comments.